Okay, I'm excited for us to get started on a new book. Um, this week we are starting with Numbers. We're going to be covering the first four chapters um, of Numbers. And I'm especially excited because um, I was just mentioning um, earlier that for me, this book, when we do the overview reading of the entire book of Numbers, it is more difficult to me because of sort of that repetition of, you know, such and such family and this many numbers and, you know, and just kind of feels like over and over and over. But <clears throat> after doing that sort of overview reading, when I go back and I read one chapter and try to break that down at a time, there is just, there's so much there and there's a lot to appreciate. Um, and I think similarly to Leviticus, there's, uh, you know, kind of the running joke of the ones who complain about Leviticus reading have not got to numbers. Um, mm -hmm. But really, there is so much in both of these books that is, they're just wonderful gems of, you know, not only what is going on presently in the book of Numbers, but also looking forward to New Testament times, which is applicable to us and, um, and so many lessons that I think... Um, we do a disservice if we just gloss over. So um, as a, because we're starting a new book, I did want to ask Elizabeth and Sherry, just, you know, your kind of overall thoughts going into this, any things that you may be looking for particularly, because I think that's another benefit of doing a study like this is to find out, you know, kind of everybody's approach to, um, to studying a new book and, and, and kind of your process in going through um, this type of book um, because that's going to look different for each person. So Sherry, I guess I'll start with you and then Elizabeth if you'll let me know what you think too. Okay, um, so you know how I am about the whole structure thing. So, there are so many chasms. Um, so um, um, I like it. I like um, that we're going right from Leviticus to Numbers because actually the first 10 chapters of Numbers and the last eight chapters of Leviticus are sort of a thing, one thing. And um, uh, so this is just like, you know, when we talked about when we when we wrapped up with Leviticus, particularly when we were in, in chapter 27, and we said, you know, it's kind of a weird way to end a book. Mm -hmm. Well, it's because it, it really ends with chapter 26, and 27 is like moving on to the next thing. And so Numbers is just sort of a continuation of Leviticus up through um, chapter 10, verse, verse 10. Mm -hmm. And then in chapter 10, verse 11, that's when they start to leave right. Sinai. So, so um, I, it, I like that we've, we're doing it this way because it is a continuation and it is the last um, sort of Numbers, um, Leviticus 19 through Numbers 10 is like the the um, the last part of the chiasm that started with Exodus 19. Mm -hmm. So um, the climax of it was the tabernacle being built and filled with Yahweh's glory. And now we're going back down the other side, and now we're, we, so we did A, B, C, D, C, B, and now we're on A, still. And we've been there since we left Leviticus uh, 18. So, um, so this is just going to be kind of um, the, the last part of that chiasm, and then we'll start into Numbers chapter 10, verse 10, or verse 11, on to move on to other things. So, um, um, so yeah, that's my comments on. Okay. Um, and just one quick extra note on that with you um, going through the um, structure mm -hmm. of A, B, C, D, and that sort of thing. One of the uh, questions that I've been asked of, you know, somebody that's been listening is that, well, they jumped in on one, on a, uh, on a time where you were going through this in great detail, but we had built up to that. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, yeah. what in the world? But just, just to touch on that, um, I appreciate when you do bring that out because for myself and I know Elizabeth has kind of spoken to this a little bit too is even even without me feeling like I'm getting all of those um, chiasms and all of the structures 
even like numbers one through four, there were structures that are parallels that stood out to me and made me realize, oh, okay, we've got another example of this where we, you know, it's not this, it's not that we're just seeing the same thing repeated, but there is an actual, um, oh, uh, design to it of you know that is evident even in the English language because a lot of that I think sometimes can get mm-hmm. it, it certainly can get over my head um, is a chiasm? oh okay thank you so a chiasm is chiasm. like sort of like you know what a palindrome is yeah you know, words is that okay mm-hmm. so a chiasm is a literary structure it's a poetic structure that starts with an idea and ends with the same idea okay. and it builds Towards the middle, so the middle of the key, of the of the structure. So the climax would be at, at the middle. So it would go a pattern like A B C D C B A. That'd be a seven-part chiasm. And there's a lot of seven-part chiasms because seven's a thing, you know, in the Bible. So um, a lot of times um, when you see something, uh, when you're reading through a passage, you'll see something and you'll think, "This kind of reminds me of something before." Well, it's because it's designed that way. And so the, the, the reasoning behind that is that during this time in history, people didn't read. Mm-hmm. They just memorized it. And so it's Told a stories. structure that you can remember, kind of like a song. Mm-hmm. It has a structure so that they could remember, okay, they get to the climax and then they go back down the other direction. And that's, that's just a, it's okay. sort of a, um, a mnemonic device where they can remember you know, it that way. And so there's a lot of those in the Bible and even um, there's a lot of larger, so this is part of a larger chiasm that starts in Exodus 19 and goes through Numbers chapter 10, uh, verse 10. Um, but then within that, there are other ones too. Mm-hmm. Just like within a poem, like if you, you look at um, Psalm 19, there's, there's basic structure of Psalm 19, but then within Psalm 19, there's also Psalm 119, sorry, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. but within Psalm 119, <laughs> there's other little structures yeah. in there. So, mm-hmm. so, Fascinating. Um, yeah, so anyway, that's what it is. Yeah. Okay. All right, Elizabeth, you. What, what are you Very aiming good. for in this study? So when we were studying Leviticus, the kind of question we were trying to answer is, okay, how does a holy God live with an unholy people? Mm-hmm. And so he gives them all these laws so that they can draw near to him. Mm-hmm. And so once we get past the actual giving of the law, I'm really excited to see how that kind of plays through. And obviously we know some of the highlights, but I personally have never read straight through numbers. Yeah. So I, I am one of those people that stops there once it gets too difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it'll be really interesting to see, you know, what laws they do make sure to keep, what laws they just kind of immediately drop off of. Like I know we talked in one of our last lessons about how the Sabbath year was probably, or the year of Jubilee might not have ever actually been practiced. Um, I meant to watch through the, the Bible project kind of outline of it. I didn't mm-hmm. get a chance to do that, but I'm going to circle back around Um mm-hmm next week and make sure I get more details from that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's really, really all I'm looking forward to is seeing the follow through from Leviticus. They just got the law. God is with them. Are they, are they going to do what they're supposed to do? Yeah. And sometimes, a lot of times it is no. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and in a, a weird way that is kind of comforting to me when I feel like I get in a rut of like, is anybody trying to do what's right? You know, and then mm-hmm. I, look and go, oh, okay, this is not anything new, so calm down. Um, and, and just along with that, I appreciate you bringing it out. Now, remind me, it's the Bible Project, and it's a YouTube channel yes. that you can, yeah. Or an app. They have an amazing app. Oh, mm-hmm. I didn't even know. Amazing. Okay, yeah. Okay, great. So that's a good resource. The other thing I was going to mention, especially with a book like Numbers, that this might be beneficial, is um, doing what's called, and I, I'm sure you all have all heard this, but there may be someone who this may benefit from this is an inductive study where basically you've just got the the printed out words of the book of numbers, you know, like from your computer or whatever, and you are just marking it up to see what themes you notice and um, and going through it and really studying it that way. To me, helps you personally make connections that, you know, if you're reading a commentary, I feel like um, if we go there first. It's like someone else is doing the thinking for us. And so I think it is helpful for us to go at least through the first time and 
see what you pick up and then um, and mark that and and share that. That's something that I'm working on and challenging myself on as we go through numbers in particular is not just for my own benefit, but for me to be writing about that, be thinking about that so it's more natural for me to talk to other people about that. And I know that seems odd in numbers of all places, but I, I deeply believe that every book in scripture, there's something you can talk to someone else about um, that is applicable. So anyway, I just that's my challenge for going through this book. Okay, so let's go through the first chapter. And um, on these chapters, um, what I've decided to do, uh, because of the repetition of it, um, we are going to, instead of reading the entirety of the chapter and the length of a couple of these, um, for time's sake, we're just going to go ahead and sum up and then pull out our observations um, just so we don't go over on our time slot. So um, I'll go ahead and take chapter one and I'm just going to kind of run through um, sort of my summary of what's happening there and then open it up to Sherry and Elizabeth for what they've noticed that I you know, may have overlooked. So we're starting out off <clears throat> given a timestamp where we are looking at, it says, the second year in the wilderness, we're in the second month on the first day. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to, um, Moses is given the instructions to take a census of the armies of Israel. In other words, we're not doing everyone that's in Israel, but the men who can fight. Um, and I have a question about this later that I want to come back to in a, a chapter later on, um, just about what those ages might be. Um, but in this chapter, specifically going through the heads of each tribe, um, and then, you know, how many are in that tribe, and then we're given the total at 603,550, and I'm sure you know there's a cute little song to help you remember that, but um, after that is recorded, the Levites, um, it's, are specified as not being counted, because what, you know, again, what are we counting? Men of, you know, they're able to go out and fight. Well, that's not the Levites' purpose. Um, they, are need to, they need to be responsible for tending to the tabernacle. Um, and so we're told specifically they're not going to be counted in this census. We'll see that later um, where their census is taken into account. Um, and then I thought this was interesting where, because we're, we're going to get to this in a later chapter, but the last part of this chapter, you know, specifies that the Levites are going to be camped around the tabernacle uh, to prevent any layman coming too close and dying. And that is going to be mentioned a few times in, um, in these chapters is um, the severity of which God says this is not to be done. Um, and here are all the, the things that I'm putting in place to help you not do the thing that will cause you to die. Um, so, uh, so that's just the basic rundown of what's going on in chapter one. Um, to me, you know, we've talked about this before, but it is so interesting where it, it seems like it's reading to me of, you know, we've got the heads of each of the tribes. So we go through, you know, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, all the way down through Benjamin. And then it says now, uh, for each tribe, here are the specific people during this time, alive during this time, that are the heads of these tribes. So again, it, it is just interesting to me the calling out of the names and how integral of a part that is to the people of Israel of who they are, what family they belong to, and what that actually means. Um, something I did not have time to go into, and maybe Sherry, uh, if you know this already or have done some research, you can let me know. But the two names that stood out to me were Aminadab and um, I should have written down the other one. There was one other one that also started with an A, and I'm not mm -hmm. seeing it right now. But um, but I wondered if there were other places. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep my eyes open for that. And I'm just wondering yeah. why that sounds familiar to me, if it's just yeah. through these readings or if there's yeah. some other places. That... Yeah, so there's, a, there's, there's, always, um, there's always a question of whether this is just another guy with the same name. Right. Um, or, um, or if it's actually 
part of that family or yeah you know that if he's someone's father um, down the line you can see okay this is a family that's sort of this is a characteristic of these of this family like we saw with um, what was it Shimei mm-hmm. <clears throat> right um, um, and so um, uh, so yeah I don't I don't know because I didn't really delve into that but okay. you know it's possible that you know his name is because that is a familiar name mm-hmm. um, that we might see later. Uh, that we might see later. Yeah. Um, so that's <clears throat> that's what I pulled from chapter one. What did you ladies notice um, in your reading, Elizabeth? Yeah. Could you like start? I thought the um, the fact that they were taking a census of the men who could fight is really important, specifically for where God is trying to lead them. So the whole point is, now that they have the law, they have to go take the land that they have been promised. And you need to fight for that, because there's already people in the land. Um, And clearly we see that doesn't happen right now because of their unbelief. Mm -hmm. Um, But God is still prepared to lead them there in a position where they could (coughs) take the land if if they did believe, if they were, if they did have the faith to do that. So I thought, um... That was kind of the biggest thing that stood out to me. And then, obviously, again, the Levites being exempted because they have different responsibilities to take care of the tabernacle. Um, That was about all I had. I didn't notice anything about the specific numbers. I don't know. Maybe, Mm -hmm. Sherry, is there any significance to the different numbers? Um, The only thing that I noticed about it was that um, Judah is the largest one, Mm -hmm. 74,600. Yeah, um, it, it's all it's twice some of the other ones. Um, I noticed generally they're all sort of between forty to fifty thousand ish, but um, Judah is seventy four thousand six hundred. I think the smallest one was Benjamin. Yeah. Um, uh, which there's you know there's other things later on that are gonna. That are going to indicate that okay, Benjamin wasn't that big of a tribe, and then it got to where it was almost nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so that was the only thing is that just that uh, the other thing is that um, so there's twelve tribes mentioned, but there's actually thirteen. Right. I mean, we always talk about the ten, the twelve tribes, twelve tribes, twelve tribes. But all throughout the Old Testament, you'll see times when there's actually thirteen, mm-hmm. but one of them doesn't count. Mm-hmm. It's always like the Levites don't count because right. they don't have they're in in the middle of it and mm-hmm. there's twelve all all around. But it's because Joseph's tribe was split up into two. Um, then there'll be other times when it mentions the twelve tribes and it won't mention Dan mm-hmm. because later on in history uh, the tribe of Dan God just sort of said forget you guys right yeah and. So it's not even mentioned as one of the tribes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but so the significance is that 12. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, it's really 13. No, but it's 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, uh, we had that same thing with the apostles. Yeah. There was 12. Then there was 11. Then there was 12. Then there was 13. So how many were there? 12. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and all, all numbers like that in the Old Testament are it's about the number, so it's it's like about twelve. Mm-hmm. And whenever you see years and things like that, they're they're all proximate. It's like about seventy years. Like maybe not about seventy people went down into Egypt, depending on how you count it. Were there seventy two? Was there seventy five? Was mm-hmm. there se- there were seventy? Yeah. Because well, seventy yeah. is the is the is the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just saying approximate, even the numbering of these, what are the odds that everything ended in 150? Yeah, yeah. Right. Surely they were doing yeah. some sort of yes, rounding-ish right. to 50s yeah. and 100s. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and that that is another thought that came to mind as reading this, is go, my mind going back to when they came down to Egypt, mm-hmm. um, and there were 70, mm-hmm. and now we're and you know look at the numbers that we're yeah dealing with now and again these are the men that can go to war this is not women this is not you know servants this is not you know Mm -hmm. and it just it does blow my mind to look at these numbers and and to see you know okay that that is a promise fulfilled Mm -hmm. 
that was made to Abraham, to mm-hmm. Isaac, to Jacob. This, you know, we are looking at a great nation mm-hmm. at this point, even mm-hmm. though they're not settled yet into the land. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is some yeah. impressive numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, and my other kind of sidebar thing um, along that, in I've tr- I'm going to try not to beat this hobby horse too hard, but it is so interesting to me, you know, Levites, you know, you we're going to see more of their description later of what they do. And it, it just, I always appreciate this kind of theme and seeing it through scripture is how often God says, you know, here's the thing that is very important to me, you know, and, and, and this, this means a lot to me that you do this. Mm-hmm. And it's mon- it's so seemingly mundane, you know, and when we go into more of that, I'll, I guess we can touch more on that later with the Levites, but um, the stuff that God says, you know, you are set apart to do this. What, to go to war? No, to take care of my things, you know, mm-hmm. and that just, mm-hmm. there, it, there's just a lot, yeah. I think, that we can learn mm-hmm. from that for what we feel like is the big, you know, deal versus what God says. So anyway, mm-hmm. very, very side note. Okay, uh, anything else from chapter one before we breeze into two? Okay, good. All right, and uh, just in case anybody's wondering who the extra lovely voice is, this is Anna Tremel um, joining us. I didn't want to, uh, you know, put her on the spot and mention her ahead of time in case she was feeling like she would uh, not like to just throw an extra comment in there. But she's joining us today, and I'm really glad that she's here. So um, chapter two, um, we're going to go through uh, pretty quickly because I think chapter three, at least for me, has got the bulk of the... Um, detail there as far as my notes go. So, um, Elizabeth, would you mind walking us through chapter two? Yeah, so chapter two is just laying out where everyone is going to be when they camp. Each of the tribes and their families have specific areas that are allotted to them. Um, So, on the east, you have the tribes of Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, um, I believe that's it. Yeah, Mm because it would be three on each quadrant. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Then on the south side, you have Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. On the west is uh, Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. Um, And then finally on the north, you have Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see any particular significance in where all the other tribes were, but what's really important is that you have the tent of meeting and the Levites in their positions in the center. Mm-hmm. So if we're kind of tracing this back to the law and this concept of God being with his people and among them, it's important that he is in the middle and they're all supposed to be focused on that, drawing near to that, but not too near as <laughs> you right. will right. note a little bit later. Yeah. yeah. Um, the only thing, the only kind of question I had about it is the the company on the east had significantly more people than the companies anywhere else. And I don't know if this was just due to who they stuck where or if there was any significance to mm-hmm. having more people camped on that side, like mm-hmm. for defense purposes or something. Mm-hmm. So I have some thoughts on that, but mm-hmm. Sherry, do you want to touch that first? Um, so... I, I don't think it's accidental. I don't think anything is accidental. Um, what I noticed about it was that, um, so, okay, so those tribes would would head out first. When they would leave mm-hmm. the camp, they would start with Judah right, and then go around uh, mm-hmm. in that order. And so Jude, that was the most number of people to start out with. Mm-hmm. They had the, the largest number of fighting of the fighting force. Uh, I don't know how many other people they had, but the, the largest number of fighting men was in Judah, so that would be the first thing. Um, I did notice that, um, so, um, they're arranged-ish in order of who their mother uh, yeah. um, was. So Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, that's on the east. Then you have Reuben, Simeon, and then of course Levi's in the middle. Those are all children of children of Leah. Mm-hmm. Then you have Gad, who was from Bilhah, mm-hmm. I believe. So she was Leah's handmaid. Then you have Rachel's Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin on the west. And then uh, tailing it up, you have 
three who were children of the concubine, right. yeah, the handmaid. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's significant. Um, um, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure why, but it's, I just think it's interesting that they're arranged in that way. Mm -hmm. um, they're not arranged by number. It is the largest number on the east side. Mm -hmm. um, and um, but but just I just think that that's probably part of the I mean Reuben of course isn't the first because he didn't get the birthright right because he slept with his father's concubine and Simeon and Levi you know they they didn't get the birthright because they they um, destroyed an entire city um, over over an issue with their sister and so then it fell to Judah so Judah actually is the one through whom so Judah is the one that's first yeah so I one of the so very similarly related um, I do think it's interesting the way that it's worded in this chapter is basically you've got it says uh, the tribe of Judah but that encompasses Judah is a car Zebulun you know and then um, mm -hmm. This would be Reuben mm -hmm. um, with the other two, and then uh, Ephraim mm -hmm. with the other, you know. And so, mm -hmm. it, so in my mind, I, my mind went straight to if, you know, Judah is on the east, and it says specifically where the sun rises. Mm -hmm. And I do think there is, I don't, you know, maybe it's just the poetic, you know, uh, part of that, but mm -hmm. I think there is just that messianic pointing to this is the way, you know, I mean, right. not to quote right. like current culture or whatever, but I mean that I do think there is, like you said, it is done with a purpose of his, this placement where the sun rises, where the light will come mm -hmm. through this tribe. Mm -hmm. That is where the Messiah is coming. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I may, and maybe I'm stretching too far, but that's what first popped into my mind is, whoa, okay. But it's in the east. I mean, what else could that be? Especially when they say this is where the sun rises. You know, I'm like, what? Right. Seems like a very well, specific detail. I think it's. I think it's even a bigger deal mm -hmm. than that because um, that's the direction the temple right. would face. Yeah. Everything was on the east side. That, that was the direction the temple faced, and um, it, even when Herod built his temple it faced east mm -hmm. um, everybody recognized the front of the temple as being like the face of God yeah and so when Jesus was on um, in the Garden of Gethsemane he was looking down at the temple at the face of God mm -hmm. um, and there are indications that when he was crucified it was around the backside mm -hmm. and so he made mention of the fact that God had turned his face away. I don't think God turned his face away, but he was on the backside of the temple, which wasn't looking at the face of God anymore. Mm -hmm. And when he does, when he did so many of the other things, he was like looking at the temple, at the face of God. And then when he was crucified, he was behind it. And so he wasn't looking at the face of God anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, to me, that's what came to mind first is you're facing east. This is not, like you said, mm -hmm. not coincidence. Like there's a lot, I think, mm -hmm. to the positioning of it, which was really, I mean, again, going and looking at it in smaller mm -hmm. sections, that kind of stuff um, jumps out a little easier mm -hmm. to me. And it is just impressive. Um, so very cool. And that's what, you know, when I'm making my notes and I'm, I got to draw my diagram because I can't just read it and I've got okay and then this was over here and anyway so I just I think that's really helpful you know when we're dissecting this to really understand what's going on well it's like Brother Waldron would say um, you know it is so useful and I think I don't know he may have ripped this from C.S. Lewis but that's okay because he's Brother Waldron mm -hmm. but he said it is so useful for everyone to have a good map in their head mm -hmm. and I just thought that it is mm -hmm. I mean you know when you're reading through this and the names mean nothing to you, it's like, well, okay, sure. But when you 
like process, you know, what's actually not just what's going on, but directionally what we're talking about, where things are, mm-hmm. it really does help things kind of gel to me a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's what my effort was in drawing it. Get the map in my head. Because <laughs> it doesn't happen. I think it helps with this. Like I, I just went on to um, the internet. And so you cheated. In, that's what I, I should have typed in like oh, you know, nice. image you know, Israelite camp. And yeah. I got, I mean, there's a bunch of them. There's yeah. a ton of them out there. And so I just got the one that was easiest to read. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So then you can, then when you, you look at it, it better. for me anyway, I'm a visual person. Yeah. So um, when I look at it laid out that way, I can go, Oh, well, look at that. You know, mm-hmm. and then when Elizabeth, Elizabeth said, you know, most of the people are on the East side. I'm like, yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Whereas you don't see that, you know, when you're reading the right. text because, you know, yeah, you really have to if put a, a little extra person, effort. To... Yeah. Um, okay, so chapter three is, to me, I mean, it, it's a lot. So, um, Sherry, mm-hmm. if you don't mind kind of walking us just through the um, what's going on in chapter three. Okay, so chapter three, um, you have um, uh, the layout. Uh, well, at first it mentions who the priests are. We know that. You know who the priests are. That um, there were four um, under Aaron. That now there's only two besides Aaron. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then you then it goes into talking about the Levites. I'm just kind of doing an overview here. Um, and it goes into talking about the Levites and what their purpose was, what they were supposed to be doing, and um, and sort of the significance of having the Levites. Um, um, they, then you have um, the Levites uh, going ahead and being assigned where they're going to be around the tabernacle. You have the Kohathites, the Merarites, and the Gershonites, and um, they each have a special thing that they're in charge of doing. Um, and um, I think it's really interesting that they don't just like everybody, you know, start breaking up camp and mm-hmm. heading out. If there's a specific because, you know, and there, God's taking special care to make sure that it's fortified properly, that it's guarded properly, that no lay people can come in there. So He's going to now make special care to make sure that things are carried the way they're supposed to be carried, mm-hmm. and that's going to be a thing throughout <clears throat> the rest of the Israelite history. Like this is the way. That it's supposed to be carried, mm-hmm. and and it's God sort of putting protections in. They 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 would die if they would touch it. Right. Even if they would look at it, mm-hmm. they would die. And so God was like, okay, we're gonna make it so that you can carry this very easily without having to see it and without having to mm-hmm. touch it. Right. And so um, they were really specific. They didn't just come up with their own way to do it. Um, it was very specific, and um, so you have the you have the the three sons of Levi. Um, the, you have the Gershonites, who were supposed to um, carry the coverings, um, the curtains and veils and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, the Merarites were supposed to carry the structural things, the poles and and anything that anything that they used to like set up the you know so. I'm envisioning that the Merarites would get there first. They would set up the structure. Then the um, Gershonites would get there next. They would put the curtains and the coverings on. And then the by that time, the Kohathites would get, get there and they would have the things to put inside right. um, the tabernacle. Um, you also have provisions for um, the Kohathites were to carry the implements, but they weren't allowed to touch them. Right. Um, and they weren't even allowed to look at them. So before they would do that, the priests would go in and cover the things with, like, well, I think that the tabernacle, or the, the, the um, Ark of the Covenant and the Table of Showbread were covered with four different layers of covering, of mm-hmm. cloth. And then the other things, uh, I think it was like three, um, the, the, the uh, altar of incense and 
and the other and all the implements that would go with that thing would go on the on the table or on the structure and then they would cover it with these cloths and so then and they would put the poles in the you know they had the they would have little rings on the sides mm -hmm. so they could run a pole through there so then when the cohethites would come in they could just pick it up by the poles right. and move on with it they didn't have to pack it up priests would pack that up mm -hmm. and then they would just come in pick it up and and head out with it um and that so they would be the they would be the the last ones to come in and set all that set set the things down and then the priest would come in and cover uncover the things so that they wouldn't have to look at it um, um and then it talks about a little bit about verse 40 through 51 are about the counting of the levites because god had said uh that uh, earlier in the chapter that the Levites would be consecrated in place of all the firstborn. Remember that God mm -hmm. um, uh, consecrated the firstborn, all the firstborn, and that was, that's a throwback to when they left Egypt and mm -hmm. when the firstborn were all spared. God right. said those, the firstborn are all mine. Mm -hmm. Well, so that they wouldn't be, the, so that it wouldn't be a firstborn of every family in every tribe, it was about the same number as how many Levites they had. Mm -hmm. um, it was found that there were 22,000 Levite males, and that was 273 fewer right. than what they had for, for the firstborn. So I think it's really interesting that it's not just like, well, close enough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. 273, whatever. Um, that's not that many. Um, but then there was provision made for, okay, they would pay, like, I think it's five shekels mm -hmm. each for each one of the 273 yeah. because every single one of them, you know, God wasn't like, well, most of them are mine, but, you know, 273, whatever. Mm -hmm. But no, it, it was all of them. So if there's extra, then we have to account for that. And um, uh, so I just think it's interesting that he, that, that he, makes a provision for that I'm guessing that after I mean because the numbers would fluctuate right you know, right somebody's gonna have a baby yeah and then what are you gonna do <laughs> right um, uh, but that they would make adjustments for that mm -hmm. like okay now we only have you know now mm -hmm. we have only have or now we have 25,000 Levites and 520 seven extra people so mm -hmm. what do we do well the, there's a provision there's a system right so yeah um, and I, I just think it spoke to them like, okay, this is important. Mm -hmm. It's important that every single one be accounted for. Yeah. And so God is not going to go, well, okay, fine, you can budget a little bit. Right. Um, and um, I think it's also interesting that at the end of this chapter, just like at the end of the, the last chapter, um, it ends with... Um, uh, Moses, it says, Moses gave the redemption money to Aaron and his sons according to the word of the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. Mm -hmm. As the Lord commanded Moses. Every time they go through one of these things, it's like they did as the Lord commanded Moses. Mm -hmm. um, and so just, and that, that sort of wraps up that, that section, you know, right. um, in a literary way, but also just reiterating over and over again, God commanded Moses this, so this is what we're going to do. Mm hmm Elizabeth, what did you draw out from chapter 3? Um, I love the fact that they um, weren't allowed to touch the things, even though they were Levites and they were moving them was really interesting because it just kind of exemplifies this theme of holiness that we've been going through mm -hmm. with Leviticus, that the things of God are holy, and even though the Levites are kind of set apart from the tribes, there's this like second level of set apart, being able to see the things, being able... To touch them and I think that's going to be something that's going to carry through numbers mm -hmm. as well or even like kind of backtracking to the arrangement of the camp you have you know all the normal people but you have God that's kind of in the middle but also very set apart mm -hmm. um I honestly didn't have much to add to what Sherry mm -hmm. said I think that was really mm -hmm. thorough mm -hmm. yeah um so this was such an interesting chapter to me uh, on a lot of levels but one of the things um, that was kind of stood out to me uh, as, as I was reading through this is, <clears throat> excuse me, um, 
the parallel uh, to the previous chapter where you've got, you know, the camps Mm -hmm. set up and we're looking at, you know, how the placement is there. And then so I'm doing my drawing again and, okay, are we going in the same? No, it's it's not the same order, uh, doesn't go in the same order as there. Um, and, and some of the distinctions that were made, because we've got, you know, the Levite's purpose here is to act as a buffer so that, so that no layman gets in. And, you know, the, uh, the wording there of, you know, they camped on this side at a distance. You know, it's like, you know, okay, let's make sure everybody's got plenty of room not to, um, not to mess this up. Um, and, and again, it kind of comes back to, to me, uh, Aaron's signs is, it's such a striking example of, look, we get it, you know, like we're, we're not going to pull a Nadab and a Bayou, Bayou, um, on our watch. So, um, the other thing that was very interesting to me is, um, what you were talking about with the holy things, um, I didn't know, uh, I did not remember that if I did know it um, ever about the sort of chief priest being the only ones um, authorized to not, not to handle, but even to get the stuff covered up, you know, mm-hmm. so that it could be transported mm-hmm. and all of that. Um, and again, it, it to me speaks volumes of this is not, and I, and I can't think of any great example of what we would, you know, physically say, hey, this is, this is to be treated with the utmost care. Sure, we've got our valuables and our heirlooms and whatever, but not, what compares to what God has sanctified and said, do not treat this unholy? Well, of course, then my mind goes to you know, us being living sacrifices and mm-hmm. our bodies being temples and that sort of thing. And, and the, the precious gift that God has given us mm-hmm. to have an eternal soul and, oh, okay, there's the connection for me anyway, of this is to be regarded as holy. Do not treat it cheaply, you know, mm-hmm. and especially as you brought up, mm-hmm. you know, to what lengths God has gone through, <clears throat> excuse me, in sacrificing his son and all that that entails, it just, you know, so deeply ought to move us um, to not, to be as the Levites are and to treat treat that mm-hmm. as God has, has purposed for it to be treated mm-hmm. as holy. So um, anyway, it's mm-hmm. just, that was just such an interesting chapter to me to read through um, okay. the details of that and what, what God expected. And just that one more kick at that horse the the things that are labeled that Sherry went through are the most utterly mundane jobs, I feel like, that anyone would look on and go, so that's important, you know? And But how how many times over does God say, you don't get to decide what's important, I do. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we've got to mm-hmm. tune into because too many times we hear the lies, you know, from the world saying what you're doing is not important and forgetting, well, they don't get to decide that. Mm-hmm. That's God's call. So um, anyway, uh, done. I'll mm-hmm. throw the horse out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Chapter four. Oh, did you have something I else? Just one on, on that note. Um, I noticed that um, when it talks about the Kohathites, um, and actually Aaron and Moses came from the tribe of Kohath. Right. So yeah, there's that. But um, that it said that Eleazar, son of Aaron, had oversight over the sanctuary implements. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, okay, well then, somebody else is going to have oversight over the other stuff. Mm-mm. No, right? Just they were they can, could pick up and move the stuff, but one of the priests had to oversee the whole moving of the things in the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Like, they couldn't just be anybody that came in there and did it. He, Eleazar had this specific responsibility of, okay, now you do this, you do this, you do this, mm-hmm. and okay, now we, now we can carry it. Right, yeah. So, and it does, mm-hmm. I mean, it just, it does fly in the face when you think of, you know, um, Uzzah being struck down mm-hmm. 
And, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I so often I've read <clears throat> where David's upset with God, and I'm like, I'd be upset too. You know, I mean, I feel, but then reading through this, it's like, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. what right yeah. do you have to we're be gonna upset? We're going to see it again mentioned, I think it's in chapter 7. Mm-hmm. Right. They were given the carts, but Kohath wasn't given any carts. Yeah. Because they weren't supposed to put it on a cart. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so chapter four, we're going to dive in there. Unless, are there any other comments from one, two, three? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, so we'll go into four, and I'll just run through um, through that very quickly. So um, we are switching gears a little bit um, in the sense of we're, it's kind of like we're drilling down a little bit. Um, the family of Kohath um, takes a census, and this is a specific one um, for just the ages of 30 to 50. And so one of the questions that I had in this was, um, I'm assuming this is like the working age of men, um, because I know there's other places that we find, um, you know, when you've got census taken of men to war that it started at 30, I believe, or anyway, so I know that much. But anyway, I just, I did not remember the 30 to 50, and I thought, wow, 20 years, okay, that's a, you know, get it in there quick. So um, it, that was just interesting to me. I didn't remember that detail. Um, but when the camp set out, Aaron and his sons come in and they are, um, going through the, what we were just talking about, about covering everything up under, uh, Eliezer's directions. And then, um, it goes through. So we're, it's, again, it's sort of parallel to like, we've seen where everybody's camped. Now we're seeing what they're doing. Um, the Gershonites are um, counted, and then it goes through their responsibilities of they got to get all the hangings down. So it's almost reverse order of what you were saying mm-hmm. before when you're setting up. So mm-hmm. first we're getting the holy things out. Now we're taking down all the hangings um, and what I think of as decor. <laughs> and then Marari um, comes, and they, they're getting all the framework down. Um, and the, the total here of everyone who is involved in this is 8,580. And again, that is just fascinating to me because and in the sense of we are just talking about the Levites and we are just talking about the ones who are tending to the temple. And that's nearly 10,000 people. Um, it, it just, again, it makes me just have a deep appreciation for um, God's promises that he is bringing about during this time. Um, and, and, and it's just, it's, it's almost unfathomable in my mind because, you know, Exodus is a few pages back, (laughs) you know, I mean, yes, we're years away, but Mm -hmm. it just is amazing to me that, you know, how could this be anything but the providence of God and God's working? Um, and, and it just slaps me to, you know, present day of, you know, we, we still have people claiming to be Jews today, like I just don't understand. I don't know. It, it, it's mind blowing to me that people would look at that. You know that there is there is a people with a legitimate history that have you know all these incredible, rich you know stories that can you know to a great degree be validified or uh, validated or whatever mm-hmm. and verified. That's the word I was trying to remember. Um, but still go uh, I mean it's just a book you know I, <laughs> so anyway mm-hmm. so that was that was that's what stood out to me is the just amazing uh just concept of like how many people we're dealing with from where we started mm-hmm. and and knowing you know how this journey continues it's just it's impressive so anyway Elizabeth what thoughts did you have from four so I'm kind of brewing a theory about the, the age range there. Um, so when we're talking about the men that are able to fight, that's 20, 20 and up. And it's like, okay, yes, we can, you know, in America we sent 18-year-olds off to war. That makes sure. perfect sense. But I think kind of the point of raising the bottom limit here to 30 I think this to do with some degree of maturity. Like, we live in a college town. We know lots of 20-year-olds. <laughs> Would we consider them necessarily the most mature individuals? Mm, not so much. Speaking as someone who's not much past 20, I don't have a lot of room to talk. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, I wouldn't trust myself with too much anyway. Um, but then on the upper limit, 50, 
um, they're carrying a bunch of heavy stuff. Like, mm-hmm. there's a point at which your body just kind of can't uphold that, especially if they're, you know, traveling through the wilderness and you're doing this every couple weeks, every couple of months. That's going to mm-hmm. take a toll on your body. Mm-hmm. So I think there's very kind of practical reasons yeah. for those limits. That's That was kind of my yeah. best explanation for that. Um I had another thought, and then I think I got wrapped up with the age limits that I completely forgotten. So if it comes back to me, okay, I'll, sure. I'll circle back around. All right, Sherry, what have you got for um, You know, I didn't have anything much else um, other than what you've already covered. Um, I, I noticed uh, at the end of this chapter, again, they were listed by him as the Lord commanded Moses. Mm-hmm. Every single chapter so far in Numbers is ended with as the Lord commanded Moses, or the last verse has had that in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, this is okay, this is the end of this section as the Lord commanded Moses. Every single time it's like the Lord commanded Moses, this is what they did. Yeah. Um, um, and I think that chapter four is more like a sort of a more detailed description of what they were supposed to do. Right. Um, in chapter 3, it's just sort of general. This is mm-hmm. what you have charge of. And then in chapter 4, we have more a more detailed um, description of, okay, this is how you're going to do this, even down to, like, um, I thought it was interesting. It's not just you put three different cloths over this, but you put a blue one first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the red one, mm-hmm. and then the goat skin, and then another blue one. Mm-hmm. Like, why? I don't know. Yeah, that's what he said. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, and it will be interesting to see, you know, if some mm. of those things do, you know, reveal themselves. Maybe, maybe not. But mm-hmm. again, I just that's one of my deep appreciations for doing studies mm-hmm. like this. Is you you get to work through some interesting questions and, and just get to notice and, and connect more dots. And mm-hmm. and that's my hope um, as mm-hmm. we're beginning this uh, new book that hopefully, I mean, I know I know that happens for us who are able to gather each week and, and do this together. I'm hopeful that it whets the appetite um, mm-hmm. of any that's, that are able to listen and that you get excited about um, books that people may have told you are the worst, but mm-hmm. go prove them wrong and open it up and mm-hmm. show them that there's just some really amazing stuff there. All right. Y'all have a great day. We'll see you next week.